Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, good morning. Welcome to Crossroads Church. This is week one of I Believe. All right, how many here I believe? You don't even know what you just committed to. But thank you for having confidence in me uh, in that moment of levity. I believe in our future. Where were we as a church four years ago? January 2018, I went back through letters that I was sending out to the church, and I shared uh, Acts 17, I think it's 26 and 27, says, He determines the time set for us and the exact places where we should live. God did this so that men would seek and find Him, for in Him we live and move and have our being. See, in December of 2017, the church called me to be their pastor I was in the Air Force, still active serving, thought I would be able to get out, wasn't, wasn't able to be released for a year. And so the church had to wait 12 months. And so we focused on that year being a year of prayer and preparation. We would have 40 to 60 in here on a regular basis. And when the church called me, they asked for two things. They said, one, we want leadership. So, well, they got that. And number two is we want more volunteers. I guess they needed a recruiter. Well, they got that as well. Three years ago, January of 2019, we began what was called a year of change. Everything changed. And my intent and the message that I brought to the church was, I want to help you build a church that your grandkids want to go to church with you. Because it's so easy for the generations to convince themselves that, well, I can't go to grandma and grandpa's church, or I can't go to mom and dad's church. That's not my church. And so we, for the last few years, have been striving to create an environment where both the seasoned saints and those that are new in their faith, those that are young in their life, feel comfortable and want to be in the same building. Two years ago, where were we? January of 2020. January of 2020 was going to be a year of more. Little did we know what that would mean. Because in March, we began two weeks to flatten to the curve. And we found out not long after that that we were lied to. There was no intent to flatten the curve. And so in June, we started services back up with 40 people. The intent was when we opened up our doors was those who couldn't watch online would just come in and watch us record the service. And our church said, no, we want to be in the house of God. Where were we in January of 2021? Just a year ago, Crossroads Church was launched. I believe it was almost a year ago exactly that we had our first Super Bowl party for the youth, and they had about 50 kids crammed on this stage here. In 2021, we saw 97 professions of faith, 62 baptisms, 
over 120 different people active in life groups, 97 different men involved in our men's group. We established a ministry called The Well. We partner with Sleep in Heavenly Peace to build 30 beds here on our property and help them distribute 100 beds into homes all across Centralia. And on December 25th, Christmas Day, we serve 717 meals to our community. If you brought your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you look underneath the seat in front of you, there's probably a copy. Matter of fact, if you use one of those Bibles, just turn to page 147 and you'll be right there in Numbers 13. I shared this with the men yesterday at the prayer breakfast. They didn't get the full load. They got, they got half a load. I'm going to give you the rest today. Numbers 13 and verse 1 begins with these words, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. You know, sometimes God speaks to us and we don't hear what He said. It goes right over our head. And we got to take a lap, turn around, come back through, hear the same message again. Have you ever come across a Bible verse that you must have read a hundred times in your life, and then one day the light bulb pops on you like, that's what it meant. Well, this was a situation for the children of Israel because God told them that I'm giving you this land. And Moses, I want you to send men in to spy out. Check it out and see what needs to happen. And so in verse 17 of chapter 13 of Numbers It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. So they went up and they explored the land. Verse 23, and when they reached the valley of Eskel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of the men carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. I had never seen that over at Walmart or even Aldi's, that kind of clusters of grapes. But that's what the men were bringing back. The place was called the valley of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes. The word Eskel means cluster in Hebrew. And at the end of 40 days, and I want to point out, there's something special about the number 40. The number 10 involves testing. The number 40 involves judgment. When God destroyed the earth with water, He caused it to rain 40 days and 40 nights. Moses spent 40 years in the desert tending flocks before he was allowed to release the children from Egypt. He also spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. He interceded on Israel's behalf for 40 days and 40 nights after he came back down, saw them worshiping a golden calf and got mad and threw the the stone tablets down and broke them. The law specified in Deuteronomy that they would limit the number of lashes that a man could receive to 40. As you've read here, the Israelite spies were told to go into the land for 40 days and to search it out. Because of that and because of their subsequent actions I'll tell you about, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Before Samson became a judge and delivered Israel from the Philistines, they had suffered for 40 years under the Philistines. 
Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days before David showed up with a slingshot. When Elijah fled from Jezebel, he went into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. In the New Testament, Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself. And there were 40 days between the day of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. 40 is a powerful number when we read about it in Scripture. Continuing in verse 25, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. You remember that big cluster of grapes? Took two guys to carry. I don't know how big the pomegranates were, but I imagine they were probably huge too. And they said these words, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Verse 28 starts with a very ominous word, but, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. In January of 2020, I published a paper that was titled, What Might Crossroads Church Look Like in 2030? And in 2030, I see a church. I see a church that has an average weekly attendance that's now over 500, with two services being held every Sunday. I see a church that has 50 small groups meeting, which provide the power of community to the congregation and outreach to the greater Centralia community. The small group ministry is a vital part of the life of our body. Virtually everyone in the church is involved in one of the life groups. These groups meet weekly, providing an intimate atmosphere of mutual encouragement and accountability. Each group provides a tangible means for the care of God's people. More importantly, these small groups have become one of the chief means of gospel outreach to our friends and neighbors. You see, I see a church where Crossroads now hosts weekly women's discussion groups, quarterly outreach events, and periodic ladies' night out events. Because of the outreach orientation of these events and the warm atmosphere fostered by our gospel focus, we have many individuals and families coming into the church through our women's ministry. In addition, it's one of the best vehicles for training women in the faith. Many of the leaders in our women's ministry have received hands-on leadership training through these various programs. Moreover, the women who have been impacted by Crossroads are known for their strength of character. I see a church where a men's ministry that has a regular outreach-oriented events. They're geared toward believers bringing their non-believing friends. We found such a much success through these events. Some of the men presently in leadership have become followers of Christ through these events. In addition, men regularly meet together in small groups at their homes, workplaces for encouragement, learning, and accountability, all with a vision for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Moreover, we are now involved in a regular men's retreats and seminars as well as annual men's conferences every year. Friday night, 25 of our men went to Flora and joined with 1,300 other men and ate a lot of food. <laughs> Heard the gospel message. We're encouraged. Men who have been significantly influenced by the calling all men are marked by solid, gentle, servant-hearted leadership in their homes, their communities, and their workplaces. I see a church full of singles. I know it's not now, 
But I see a church full of singles because of the diverse and welcoming atmosphere at Crossroads Church. And I just want you to know that church is the best place to meet somebody that you want to be your significant other. I met Carrie at church. If that's not a testament to, to, to finding the right person at church, I don't know what is. Here at Crossroads, there's now a sizable number of singles involved in the church. In addition to participation in weekly worship, life groups, and singles of Crossroads Church have initiated outreach ministries to their fellow singles outside the church. Through periodic events, they gather with their friends for the purpose of seeing the gospel spread among this critical segment of Centralia. I see a church with a thriving children's ministry. Our Crossroads Kids programs are distinctly gospel-centered. The Sunday programs are not merely concerned with producing good kids, but rather spiritually alive kids, kids that passionately love Christ. Our kids are known throughout Centralia for their commitment to Christ and serving their community. The Lord has grown our campus to include a new children's building. I see a church with a thriving junior high and high school youth ministry. We are serious about reaching non-Christian youth and training young believers in the faith. We host two annual events that draw high school and college students from all over Southern Illinois. The purpose of these events is to help our young people develop a gospel-centered worldview. Crossroads is committed to training parents to shepherd their children in a gospel-oriented manner. We're doing this with regular training events and classes to help accomplish this goal. This effort has promoted a mentoring culture in which older parents coach younger parents through the challenges of rearing children. I see a church that has a reputation of promoting solid ministry-minded families. Those families that have been significantly influenced by Crossroads Church are marked by servant-hearted leadership. Likewise, parents are skillful and committed to ministering the gospel to their children by their life as well as a regular time of family Bible teaching. In addition, our families are marked by a simple lifestyle where caring for and related to people is more important than caring for things. Over the last few years, we have hosted a number of conferences, led multiple um, seminars on marriage, parenting, and family life that have contributed to the congregation's development in each of these areas. I see a church that is setting the pace in Illinois for establishing an apprenticeship period and training ministers of the gospel. We currently have three interns and already have seen 10 go into full-time ministry. I see a church committed to expanding the kingdom of God. Crossroads Church has been integral in starting four churches, one being started by a former Crossroads intern, and is beginning to work on the next. All of these churches are marked by their gospel above all, as well as people-oriented approach to the ministry. In planning these churches, we've actively sought the support of the North American Mission Board, which greatly contributed to the advancement of the gospel-centered church planning. Since the beginning, Crossroads Church has had a strong heart for missions. In our first year, we generously gave 13% of our operating budget to local and foreign missions, and now worked our way up to nearly 20% and will continue to aim higher. Incredibly, though, our missions and every dollar makes a difference, benevolence giving. And I would tell you, if you go to our website, crossroadschurch.faith, slash every dollar, you'll see that ministry. There's an opportunity for you, if you have a neighbor, a family member that is in need, that you can fill out the form for them, and then that will come to our benevolence committee to, re to review and act upon. Crossroads Church now takes regular regional and overseas mission trips, which we coordinate with various ministries within the church, youth, medical groups, men's ministry, as well as those outside of Crossroads. In addition, missions activities are regularly visible in our worship gatherings. Through visiting mission speakers and personal testimonies, all this has exposed many in the greater Centralia area to the needs around the world. 
As a result, Crossroads has been able to send out a number of its own missionaries spreading the message of Christ for the joy of all people. In addition, the church has well-developed ministries to meet the material, social, and spiritual needs of those within the church as well as those outside of it. There are now teams of deacons trained to address these needs in a compassionate, gospel-driven manner, and these teams regularly coordinate with other charitable organizations and government agencies in order to provide the most effective assistance possible. Many have been helped and had their lives turned around by the gospel through the caring hands from Crossroads Church. Centralia knows that if there's a need, the people of Crossroads are ready, willing, and able to help. I see a church that not only believes in the power of prayer, but also lives it. We've gained a reputation for being serious about the Bible, serious about the mind, committed to caring for one another, serving the community, and adamant about the gospel above all. Religious people who are not serious about Christ and His church tend to avoid us. Non-believers who are asking genuine questions tend to be attracted to us precisely because we are real, down-to-earth, and serious-minded, while at the same time avoiding the snare of petty issues. Our general posture toward the Centralia area is one of infiltration as opposed to isolation. As individual members of Crossroads Church, we seek to be servants to our neighbors by contributing to the common good of the community. Crossroads members are known for the way they serve their friends, neighbors, and the needy of Centralia. Crossroads attendees are strongly encouraged to develop a gospel vision for their professions and work, each one seeing their respective vocations as a calling from God. Our men and women are marked by their diligence, integrity, and excellence in the workplace. This provides many opportunities for us to give a reason for the hope that is in us, as we've been reminded in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Church, I wrote that in January of 2020. And here's one thing that I want you to understand. It's easy for us to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, and it's very easy for us to underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. You see, I see a church that operates in a land that flows with milk and honey. I see a church where the fields are white unto harvest. But let me share with you the rest of the story in Numbers. As we uh, go to Numbers 14, or I finish up in uh, chapter 13 and verse 30, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw in the Nephilim there, giants, the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. In chapter 14 and verse 1, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. I don't know if you are familiar with what's going on, but Moses has just recently in the last six months uh, delivered them from 400 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And yet here they are, after seeing God do the 10 miracles that he did in Egypt, after seeing God open up the sea where they walked across on dry land, after seeing God manifest himself in the form of a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, they said, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land in verse 3? Only to let us fall by the sword. They must have forgotten what he did to the Egyptian army. Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back 
to Egypt. What was in Egypt? Slavery. What was in Egypt? Comfort. I don't know how you can put those two together, but that's what millions of people had convinced themselves of. In verse 5 in Numbers 14, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were there among them who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Verse 10, that ominous word, but, comes back up again. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it, and by your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it, that they have already heard that you, the Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Verse 15, if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them into the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin that these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time that they left Egypt until now. now listen to this, folks. In verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. But folks, we need to understand there's a difference between forgiveness and consequences. In verse 21, Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so God introduces plan B. In verse 24, but because of my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow, set out toward the desert along the route of the Red Sea. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do everything I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except for Caleb and Joshua. As for your children, those that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. 
until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you had explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness, and here they will die. Verse 36. So the men of Moses, or so the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who had returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it, these men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up into the land that the Lord has promised. Surely we have sinned. But just as they received the forgiveness, they still had to live with the consequences. In verse 41, But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Verse 44, Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country. Though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp, then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. You know, when I think about them going to this highest point, looking over into the promised land, the land that Joshua and Caleb said was flowing with milk and honey that had incredible resources to it. It takes me back to a time when I was in Afghanistan and we would do what was called a mountain climb. And basically, we would climb the ridges of the mountains and we would find mortar pits that the enemy had set up. There were no streets. There were no street lights. They would operate on the moon cycle. And so when there was a full moon, we knew that a rocket attack was probably imminent. And so what we would do is when the, the full moon wasn't around, we would send out different patrols. We would find the mortar pits that they created because the side of a mountain is not a great place to launch mortars from. They would dig out and put a, make a flat area there. And then we would go back and give those GPS coordinates to our fire team. They would plug those into the, their computers that ran our mortars. And I remember a few weeks later being up in the watchtower, and, and it, it was, again, a full moon. You could see um, about eight guys come up over the top of the mountain and start setting up a mortar pit. One of the guys in the tower called in and identified where they were at on the, the grid map asked for clearance to engage them. The message came back negative. There's helicopters in the area. He said uh, he, he kept updating the progress of this team. It was kind of funny to, to watch this, to see eight guys, because they didn't have vehicles. They weren't able to, to drive around on those mountains. And so two guys would be carrying the mortars. Uh, another guy would have part of the, the, the mortar uh, device and then here they come, popping up over the hill, setting that down and laying everything out. And eventually they got to the point where they dropped the first mortar in and the guy over the radio calls out one away and everyone in the camp is doing the same thing. You're counting, 1,001, 1,002. 
And as soon as that had detonated, and, and they were not very good with their mortars, thankfully, because what they would do is they would launch it and probably get within 100 yards of our camp, and then they would do what's called walking it in. They would just try to increase it by 50 yards and another 50 yards and, until they could fire it into the camp and hurt us. But before that would happen, we, the helicopters had been cleared out of the area, and our mortar team was engaged. And they knew exactly where they were because we had given them GPS coordinates for where. And so no sooner did we fire our first shot, but then those eight guys that had just recently scurried over the mountain with the, the mortars in their hands are now grabbing those back up and trying to get back over the other side of the mountain where they can't be seen. I remember on one particular patrol being up there on the, the top of the mountain ridge looking back at the plateau where our camp was, and then being able to see for 50 miles all around. I imagine that this is what the children of Israel were experiencing as they went to that highest point and they're looking into the promised land. They realize that they've made a horrible mistake and they don't know how to get out of it. And so it's in their presumption they go against the word of the Lord. It was in 2004 that I experienced a tectonic shift in seeing God actively work in my life. Carrie and I were members of Bay Vista Baptist Church in Biloxi, Mississippi. I was chairman of the deacons there, and our pastor had introduced us to a 7-Up campaign. Now, it has nothing to do with the drink. It was a seven-week campaign, and at the end of that seven weeks, um, he was asking the church to come together and give a sacrificial offering. Up to that point in our lives, we had been faithful tithers. We gave regularly. We gave as God blessed us. But we never ever gave beyond that. Why? Because it seemed like um, while there was plenty of provisions, uh, there was never anything at the end of the month. And because I was the chairman of deacons, I knew that, you know, I couldn't uh, face this like I would a normal campaign. And I, I, I want to lead from the front anytime something like this happens. And so I began to go and seek the Lord and ask, what's the amount that Carrie and I should give? I asked Carrie uh, to do the same. And so we prayed on this and we were convinced that we were supposed to write a check for $1,400 on that day. Now, um, just for you to, to frame that, um, we had never wrote a check for $1,400, not even for our rent. This was a number that was really unfathomable to us personally. We didn't have it in a savings account. We didn't have it in a bank account. And so for seven weeks, we altered our lifestyle. I paid the minimum on all our credit cards. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I did. We altered uh, how much we went out to eat. And we listened to God and we stepped out in faith, not ever having done anything like this before. And on that Sunday, we wrote a check for $1,400. That Sunday was a, a joyful Sunday for us. I didn't understand what it meant to be a joyful giver until that Sunday. 
Because for seven weeks, we worked hard. We put ourselves into a position where we could uh, follow through on our commitment. And that whole week, it was just building up, waiting for Sunday to come. Let me just tell you this. It wasn't easy. Up to that point, it was the largest offering that we'd ever in our married life had the opportunity to give. And I'll be honest with you that one of the thoughts that had gone through my mind was because I was in the military, it was very likely that the military would move me very soon. And so um, for me to not invest in the church, could, I could have gotten away with it because thinking I'll be gone in a year. But I didn't rationalize. I listened. Here's what I want to tell you. That changed carrying my financial life to this day. We saw God supernaturally interact into our lives. And here's what happened. He increased our net worth over $100,000 in the next 18 months. Up to that point in my life, I struggled with giving. I gave a tithe, but I struggled. I, I was the guy who asked the question, do you tithe on the net or the gross? To be honest with you, pick one. And that's what I would do. I never rounded up. I, I would, I mean, when I wrote a tithe check, it had cents on there. That was the mindset that I had before stepping out on faith and then watching God open up the windows of heaven. Let me take you back to the children of Israel. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10. We now fast forward 40 years. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They've seen God do miraculous things. All the parents have died off. It's just the children now who are adults. The 19-year-olds are now 59 years old, and those that were just born are a little over 40. In Joshua 1.10, it says this, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions. In verse 11, it continues, For within three days you are to pass over the this Jordan, to go into the land and take possession of it. That the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now remember back in Numbers chapter 13, verse 2, 40 years earlier, God had already told them, this is your land, I'm giving to you. But because they refused to listen and to believe and to accept that, they experienced God's judgment for 40 years. Church, I want to tell you this. For the last four years, we have seen God work in a mighty way here at Crossroads Church. For those who've been here since the beginning, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who've been here for just a year and a half, you know this, doesn't, this building doesn't look anything like it used to. The congregation looks nothing like it used to. And so the question I ask, are we ready to go to the next level as a church? On March 6th, matter of fact, if you would, 
in front of you in the, the every seat has these I believe cards. I would encourage everybody to pull one out. Those on the front row just reach behind you and you can grab them. You've seen these I believe signs everywhere. You've walked over them as you came into the building. And you see there at the top of the card, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Ephesians 3.20. This is a great verse. We want to quote this verse. We want God to be at work within us. And we, we love that immeasurable. I mean, you mean there's not a number that caps it? That's what God's saying. But let me read a little more on this card. It said, at Crossroads Church, the mission has never been more important. We have an incredible ministry going in our church. I, I shared with you that we wanted to reach 20% in benevolent giving to our community. We surpassed that last year. Far surpassed that. But here's the reality says, how you leverage your God-given resources will determine how we impact our community now and in the future. The reality is this, that when the church called me, they couldn't afford to pay me. But we didn't let that stop us. We set out to build a church that was going to make a difference in our community. And church, we've been successful. You have heard us say many times uh, from here that we are not just a church on Sunday. We are a church every day of the week. But here is a harsh reality for us, is that we support our church financially like we're just a church on Sunday. The truth of the matter is that we only bring in about 60% of our operating budget. It was easy for us to look the other way last year. COVID happened. And so as we look into 2022, we sat down in January as a church and we recognize that something has to change. Either we as a church have to come together and support the work of the ministry, or we have to change the work of the ministry and what that looks like. And so one of the first things that I'm challenging the church to do is to take part in what we're calling an immeasurably more sacrificial gift on March 6th. We're going to be sharing this opportunity in our Crossroads Kids with your children. So if they come home and they start saving their pennies and quarters, you know what that's all about. Let me tell you what this card is not. This card is not a pledge card. Yep, it has a space down there for you to write a number. This, this isn't for you to write it and show it to me or anybody else. This is for you. What I hope is that you'll take a, a multiple of these cards home with you that you'll put them in your Bible, that you'll put them in your visor, and that you'll listen and hear. What, what, what does God want you to do to be a part of the ministry of Crossroads Church? If you flip the card over, you'll see on the back it has some other information. The first thing we see is the, the verse Matthew 6, 21. It says, For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And here's the reality. If you opened up your bank account, you could see where your heart is. If you love Starbucks, it's obvious. 
If you're hooked on Amazon, it's there. Where our heart is is exposed by where our treasure goes. Many of you, your heart is here at Crossroads Church. And what's interesting is, or or there's good news and bad news when it comes to um, the operating budget. The good news is that we've got plenty of resources to keep Crossroads going for a decade. The bad news is it's all in your bank accounts. Some of y'all looking at me a, a little mean. That's a joke. That's a true one, but it's a joke. And so I put down there, what, what does your giving, how does it impact us? And there's just a list of things here. A case of paper. You know what? Uh, nothing in this church is free. We, I have gone to many of the, the local businesses, and they, while they love churches, uh, they won't give us all the stuff that we need to operate. The community breakfast that we do every week, that costs us about $100. Our grief share curriculum, which we're going through, is a, that costs us $400. You'll see very soon that we'll have 50 U.S. flags um, around our campus, and we do that periodically. Those aren't free flags, folks. It costs us $500 to purchase those. Uh, we did that two years ago, and having them out, it wears them out, and we're, we have to get more. Our Embrace Grace semester, which just started up, that costs us about $750 in addition to the baby shower that you all throw for these young ladies. 100 Bibles. Uh, if you were here last week, the, uh, the number of Bibles we had out was sparse. Uh, if you look now, everything, every chair just about has one. Uh, those aren't free, folks. That cost us $1,200 to get those Bibles. And we put those Bibles there with the express intent. Matter of fact, if, if you're a visitor here, I encourage you to pull one out, open it up, and there's a message right inside that says, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we want you to take that one, put your name in it, and make it your Bible. That's how important we think it is. Our friend day we'll have in September, we'll have over 300, maybe 400 people here. Uh, those, those aren't free days. It cost us about $3,500 that day. The well ministry that I talked about, that, that we have an incredible uh, uh, opportunity through the Baptist Foundation, we rent that for $350 a month. At the end of the year, that costs us $4,200. Our worship ministry in a given year, we run through about $5,000. Our Crossroads Kids ministry will, um, for 12 months, uh, be a $10,000 investment, and that's an investment that is incredible. Do you love the sight of all the kids running out of here? Like, oh no, Pastor Ronnie's coming. Let's get out of here. <laughs> they are excited about going to Crossroads Kids. That's why we invest in them. The utilities for this building cost us around $15,000 for a year. So let me say what this is not. This is not anybody um, sponsoring one of the, your name's not going on a chair. Uh, there's no plaques that we're going to create. Um, it's not going to be the Crossroads Kids Ministry given by. This just shows you what a difference you are making already. And if you partner with us, what a difference you can be making. And the last verse I want you to see is down in the lower right-hand corner, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Because here's what's interesting is uh, pastors get beat up all the time for talking about giving. Uh, let me just say this. Whether you give or you don't give doesn't affect my salary. 
doesn't affect my paycheck. So I'm not getting a bonus for, for preaching on this topic today. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says these words, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, let, let me make this crystal clear. I'm not asking you to give $1,400 like Carrie and I did. What I'm asking you to do is ask God what he wants you to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Church, we have a great opportunity before us. The children of Israel had a great opportunity before them. They'd seen God work. They'd seen Him do miracles that everybody would acknowledge that God's hand was there. Everybody that has experienced Crossroads Church would acknowledge that the presence of the Lord is in this place. I hear it from you every week. If you're visiting here today, this is not my normal message. Matter of fact, this church has only heard me preach about giving twice since I've been here. Folks, I could preach on prayer and I could preach on giving every week because of what God's done in our life. He, he's answered prayer and He has blessed us according to His Scripture because we stepped out in faith. Let me take you back to Joshua. Joshua 1, he said, get ready for in three days, in our case, in three weeks. So I'm here to tell you, our uh, deacons are here to share with you. In three weeks, we believe that this is what we we're supposed to do. In Joshua 24, verse 14, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is seven years later from Joshua 1.10. 31 victories later. Continues, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, this isn't six months from them being out of the slavery in Egypt. This is 50 years later. 50 years later, here they are about to um, go into the promised land. They, they, actually, they've already conquered it. And Joshua has to give them this stern warning. Put away the gods that your fathers have served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served or the gods of the Amorites. Worship team, if you'll come back up as we close. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, we have learned here at Crossroads Church that God is faithful. When the pandemic surrounds you, when the world laughs at you, and when the faithless abandon you, it's in those dark times that God's faithfulness shines the brightest. And so what I ask is, will you join Carrie and I as we proclaim, but as for our household, we will serve the Lord. Acts 17, 26 and 27, I want to read it one more time. He determines the time set for us and the exact places where we should live in. Why does he do that? Why did God put you here on this Sunday in February at Crossroads Church? Here's why. He did this so that men would seek and find him.
Church, we want to be a church that people find Christ in. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how great the worship. It doesn't matter what the building looks like. It doesn't matter how many children we have. If we aren't showing people Christ, we've missed it. Church, this year you're going to watch even more people get baptized. You're going to see multiple hundreds of people get saved. If we as a church are ready to claim, are ready to move out, are ready to take the steps that are required. Because here's what I want you to know. When the children of Israel were there after the 40 days that the spies went into the land, it was God's will for them to go into the promised land then. It was not God's plan for them to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. He didn't need 40 years. He was ready to deliver it then. But because of their actions, because of their inactions, they had to wander for 40 years. I'm here to tell you that our church has experienced that very same thing. 2004, I believe it was, this church was blessed with an endowment. That's what built this building. That's why we are rent-free. The only thing this building costs us is to keep it warm. And apparently our water bill has been going up because we're baptizing so many people. I'd imagine that some of you, like Carrie and I were, you've been faithful, but you haven't. You've tried, but you've never taken that next step. And I want you to know that God is faithful. God blesses those that he says he will bless. And God withholds from those who don't take him at his word. The apostle said to Jesus in Luke 17, Lord, increase our faith. Would you stand with me? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel just like the apostles. I don't know where this pastor's coming from. Oh my goodness. When you get out to the car, you're like, we picked the wrong Sunday to try out Crossroads. (laughs) I was not told about this. And maybe you need God to increase your faith. Here's what I know. That there are multiple couples, there are singles, there are families that are here this morning that on March 6th and beyond, they are going to see God work in their life in such a way that they've never seen before. They're going to experience a tectonic shift in their faith that they've never experienced in the previous 20 and 30 years that they've been serving God in. Here's what I know. There's going to be some that miss it. There's been some that don't have the faith. And so here's what I want to do for you. I want to pray for you. Matter of fact, I would ask you, you've seen the prayer cards in the the back of the seats in front of you. I would pull one of those out. You've got to put your name on it. It was, I'll share this with you. A couple weeks ago, uh, I had a card turned in that says, um, I, I want to go sit and pray with Miss Cindy, but I need her address. And they didn't leave a phone number. They didn't leave a, a message. And so I couldn't reach out to you. So uh, here, please put your name on there. 
uh, put a, a phone number on there and I'll text you first. And then if there's an opportunity to meet with you, but here's what I want to, to do with you and for you. If you are one of those people, you're like right now, you're shaking your head, your, your feet are shaking, your legs are shaking. And you, and you hate the thought of asking God what could or should you do. You just write on that card, I need faith, Pastor. And allow me to pray with you every day. You see, because if, if I could just rip open my heart and share with you the faith that I have, I would. And I've got enough for this whole room. I've got enough for everybody that's online. Because it's not the amount of faith, it's what the faith is in. Church, I want to be a church that puts our faith in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I want to be a church that believes that this is a supernatural book. And that the words in it are true. And that God has the ability to bless us based on what he wrote. I'd encourage you, if your faith is weak, let me pray with you. Put it on a card, drop it in. I'll be up here while the worship team closes us out in this song. I would love to pray with you, to pray for you. Church, you're about to see God do an incredible work. The question is, do you want to see God do it in your neighbor's life? Or do you want to experience God do it in yours? I know which camp I'm in. But as for Carrie and I, we are going to serve the Lord. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much that here at Crossroads Church, at this point in time, God, you have led us to this opportunity for the one thing that holds most of us back, our wallets, for us to see you work in a supernatural way. God, I thank you for what you did years ago in my life. And God, I'm praying and convinced that there will be more than 20 families that see the same thing happen for them. God, we love you. We praise you. And Lord, those that are weak in their faith, God, I pray that you would just supernaturally send your Holy Spirit into their life and let them know that they are not alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 